Welcome back to another episode of the Rankable Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Sussman of iPoll Rank. I am super excited. We're going like a little off the beaten path to our amazing sister that is advertising a little out of the SEO world, but still super relevant and some really interesting things going on. And that's why I had to bring on this awesome guest. I am joined today by Susan Wenegrad. She is fractional head of marketing and entrepreneur in the candle business. I, I, I do want to ask about the types of candles because it's so interesting and watching your like build in public journey. And then she yeah. is also the host of That's Marketing Baby with Jess Cook, which is a awesome weekly podcast where they just shoot the shit all about marketing. Sometimes they have a external guest like my boss, like Mike, Mike King, <laughs> but most of the time it's just fun conversations. Thanks for joining me today, Susan. What's Thanks going on? for having me. I'm like, known Mike forever. It's kind of surreal to finally be on his podcast. <laughs> I know. I did. Okay. Funny trans, Funny story is like, I have been working at Apple rank for almost two years now. A couple of months ago, so I started past during the pandemic. I only met him for the first time in person two months ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I've well, known you guys have 2015. Yeah. yeah. We've known each other forever. <laughs> But okay, can you so you've been building this candle business in public. It's really cool to see like your applying marketing. Tell me about it real quick, just because it's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of interesting because it's the opposite of like what I do day to day in marketing for other clients. So everyone's always stunned when they're like, You must you must really kill it with ads. I'm like, I don't run a single ad for it. <laughs> People stare at me, they're like, What? I'm like, I don't run ads for it. I it's all like in person and wholesale. So um, I've always been, I'm kind of, I think that's one of the reasons Mike and I have always gotten along well is I'm very right brain and left brain and my, my job, you know, typically doesn't have a lot of creativity. And so it allows me to just kind of exercise my creative side, do what I want. No one can tell me what I can and can't do or can and can't market. So it's fun. <laughs> I love that. And it's a really cool website. We'll have, actually have a link to the show notes. So if you want to buy a candle, we'll, yep. we'll, we'll hook you up. I make all um, of them. <laughs> that set, which is so cool. Like getting your hands dirty. We are going to talk ads it's a really interesting time in the world of Google ads in terms of performance, in terms of the new tools and tech that's coming out. Can you set the stage for what you're seeing? Cause you work with so many brands. I'm fascinated yeah. to hear your perspective. Yeah. So um, this year is, as you know, I've been doing Google ads since 2007. So I've, I've been around a while, um, but I would say out of all the years I've done it, this has been by far the year where I have gotten more requests for audits than ever. And the thing that I'm seeing is it's they're all having the same problems. Um, pretty much they're all getting referred to me because they have been running their ads a certain way for the past five, 10 years, you know, kind of the, they've optimized them and stuff, but kind of the same tried and true structure, how things would be done, how they would use match types. And all of a sudden, it's just started to fall apart. They're like, it's not working anymore. And our costs are going up. And is, is that just a function of the market? Is it a function of how Google has changed? So I always joke that Google's kind of in this awkward teenage phase right now where like it, it wants to become a black box. And it does parts of that well. And then it does parts of it really horrifically wrong. And it's it's knowing kind of which of those things to let it do and which of those things to not let it do that I think a lot of brands are just very confused about at this point, um, understandably, because they're just kind of in their own account all day. And so they're like, I don't, is this how I should be doing it? This is what Google says to do, or this is how we've always done it. I don't know any other way to do it. Um, so there's just, there's been a lot of that. And um, I would say probably the last 18 months, it's it's reached a fever pitch where people are just like, I don't even know if I should be like, should we put this much money into Google anymore? 
Um, it's just been an interesting sea change. I've, I've never seen this much change in Google in this period of time. And, and to your point, it, it's so hard to know what it is. There are all these factors that could be influencing it. What sort of, you know, like SEO, everything, it depends. But what's sort of your blanket advice? How are you guiding people when they're coming to you with these questions? Yeah, so I kind of have a couple rules that I've come up with when it comes, when it comes to how to handle Google ads at this point. Um, one of my big ones is that you have to start deciding what you do and don't want to try and control. It used to be that we had to sort of control everything with Google because it just wasn't very smart, right? So it's like, so we had to control like match types and, you know, ad copy. And like, we had to really specify everything before we launched a campaign because we're like, Google will have no idea. So we have to tell it what to do. Now we're kind of reaching this phase where our role in that has changed, where you can launch much, much more generally than you used to and kind of spend more of your time looking to see what Google does and retroactively telling it to stop doing that thing, right? So there's less upfront work. There's there's kind of more pruning along the way for some parts of it. And other parts, I spend like almost no time having to do anything with it. And it might've taken a long time before. So where your time goes is different. I don't feel like it's easier to manage necessarily. It's just that I feel like I spend more time in certain aspects of it. Well, to that point, so what is like the time frame? If you are starting, someone comes to you, you've done the audit and you're starting to look at all these, like how long do you let Google play and, mm -hmm. and make its mistakes before you start getting involved? And then how, what does that iteration process look like? That's a good question. So a lot of it depends on like how much account history is there, right? So when I do the audit, um, typically I'm, you know, I'm auditing accounts that are spending six figures plus a month. So they have a lot of data. Um, <clears throat> so there's a lot that you can look at as far as like, how is Google matching it to things? How is it? How is, how is Google perceiving what it is they're doing um, and how to drive the most value for them? And you can kind of start to see the patterns. The, the biggest pattern that I usually find at this point, and it's almost in every audit I do, is that you have to stop being so controlling about match types because you're wasting your time. Um, that's I get a lot of accounts that come and they have like all these like single keyword exact match things set up. But then when you look at it's matching to like 300 different terms, it's not ma exact matching to anything anymore. So that's why when I tell people, you have to decide what you want to control. There are things that like, it's not worth your time to control. Like you could sit there and create, you know, thousands of exact match negatives and keep adding them to the account. But it's like the, the value of that's probably gonna be pretty minimal. So when you look at it from an iterative process, I'm always looking for like, what are the easy wins that would fix the things that Google's doing wrong the fastest, right? So, you know, for example, I'm, I'm working with a, um, a, a client that has uh, storage facilities all up and down the West Coast. And so they have like a built-in control problem, right? Because of the geography. So that automatically, you know, depending on are there non-negotiables with the way something has to be set up or controlled. And that kind of has a waterfall effect in everything else we do. So for them, it's like we know, okay, X amount of radius around the location, that's really non-negotiable. So how do we give Google room to breathe? Like, we're not going to do a bunch of exact match tied with a small geo, right? Then that's something we're like, okay, we could feasibly test broad match here and see if it learns quick enough to make it worth our while. So it's kind of like, what, what are factors that we have no control over because they are what they are? And how do we want to make decisions about the account based on that? And so it's different, you know, for everything. And it's it's harder with some accounts where it's like, if there's nuances like in B2B or something like finance, you know, there's Google tries very hard to 
cross match stuff that like, it's, it's like, oh, this is the financial sector. So it starts matching it to like car loans when you're trying to go after home loans, right? Like it's not that smart yet. So that's an example where I'm like, okay, let's be a little more controlling about the keywords. So it's really figuring out like, what should we be controlling? and What shouldn't we? And then what Google does when we do that, right? And so I spend a lot of my time in the search term matching, <laughs> trying yeah. to figure out like, what does it think is happening? What does it think we are versus what we are? Should we change the structure based on that? And typically you can start figuring that out within the first like couple of weeks of, of, you know, testing something or running an experiment, um, especially with the larger accounts that have a lot of data, you get the, the data feedback a lot faster, right? So sometimes within a few days, you're like, yeah, this is going the way we want, or wow, this is not. And let's see if there's something we should change. So I kind of feel like where it used to be, here's like this really big structured thing I would launch and be like, okay, I'll just have to prune these things. Now I'm like, we're just going to put this out there and we'll see what Google does and we'll keep circling back. So it's it's just, it's so different in every account right now. But my biggest consistent thing is is kind of like this, you need to figure out like what to stop trying to control because the more you try and control it, the worse it starts to do now. So that's, that's a lot of it. It's just figuring out what does that mechanism look like? But typically you're going to get results pretty quick still. It's it's interesting how pervasive it is because this is such an important revenue generator for Google. Like they can't afford for people to lose faith in the ad, you know, like technology that they have. What do you anticipate? Like, do you think it's going to get better really soon? Or do you think brands are going to be kind of burning through money over the next year without like Google, like figuring this out as they implement more AI tech and that sort of thing? I think... I feel like brands are burning through money with performance max in a lot of cases um, because mm -hmm. all it's really doing is just picking up brand search. Like we're working with a really, really big e-com client right now. And, you know, we're basically like, it's just all it's doing is brand search. And the problem is that won't scale. So everyone's like, oh, this is easy. I'll put all this in here. And so it will it does looks amazing, right? Up until a certain point. And then once they start spending past that and it burns out on the low-hanging fruit, it starts to stumble more. or if you're like e-com, it'll start really just pushing like the high AOV products that it thinks it can make the money on, right? So there's there's built-in biases that are going to be in that that model to make it do and look the best that it possibly can, which I understand. It's, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's deceptive. I'm like, no, it's, it's trained to do what it's trained to do. It's trained to go get a high ROAS, right? In e-com. So it's doing what it's trained to do. The problem is that might not mesh with your business goals. So I feel like it's more so business is being smart about what are my ultimate goals ranked by priority. It's like, yes, I want a high row as for example. Right. But like this, this one huge e-com client, they had this agency that put them onto like four PMAX campaigns, tens of thousands of SKUs. And now they have Risk. no insight yet. They're just like, I don't, we don't know, like, how do we scale? We don't know what's working. So there's the opposite end of that, right. Where it's like, yes, you want a high row as, but one of your business priorities is also understanding all your lines of products that you carry, right? So you need to make sure whatever you're creating does that. And I think that's that's really where I feel like the, the black box problem becomes a problem. More so than, you know, the, the practitioner's like, I want to see what works and what doesn't. I get that. But there's just also inherent business problems that you run into with a black box like that. Um, so I think that's where I see a lot of the, the money burn happening. I mean, we've We've always kind of had to contend with the match type problem to an extent. It's way more egregious now, but that's always been something as a force of habit. We've always had to look and see what Google's matching us to. Like, you know, so some of that stuff that's always been there, um, maybe just more of it than there used to be. But I, I feel like, you know, 
it's not so much even, I don't really feel like I run into a trust issue with brands necessarily. It's really just more so like these are, we have, you know, multifaceted business goals mm -hmm. and we're really being forced to try and just pick one goal, right? So it's like, it, it can only optimize to this one thing. And I do think Google's trying to get smarter about that. Like they, they have been very insistent that if you have first party data to please upload it back so that it can actually learn. Like if you have free trial versus subscribed, right? They're like, please upload the subscription data so we can learn more. And we're not just always having, you know, we're just going by like freebie seekers or whatever. Um, so I think that they're trying to get better about that. Um, I think that's where the trust problem comes though. A lot of brands don't want to give them that data. <laughs> so there's, it's kind of, a, it's a double-edged sword for businesses. No, I mean, it's interesting in that respect, because part of me is curious, you know, when the super granular level doesn't always work and you have to trust Google as an ad specialist, someone who's, to your point, seen this for decades and, and been in and out of it. What is what is your ideal situation? Like, what would you want them to do that you're like, OK, I had like, would you want more control? Would you want them to just get it right and you can only focus on market factors? Like, what's your preference? Mm -hmm. I tend to be in between. So <laughs> there are a lot of, of paid search people that they are highly detail-oriented people. And so they want all the control over all the things. I personally am happy that there are certain things that we don't have to do anymore. So like, as long as the overlord of AI wants to learn it and optimize, like I am personally, I love not having to manually manage bids anymore. I am so okay. I mean, I still remember exporting a spreadsheet with every bid for every keyword and having to plug in an Excel formula that had the, you know, conversion rate and would do the math. So I'd know how to change the bit. Like I am so okay. Not doing that anymore. Fine with that. That's I'm fine with that. Um, so I think that's part of the, the issue though, is that it's like, where is that line, right? Like what are the things that we are better off not doing and what are the things we are better off doing? And that's where I think you just get this with practitioners in Google. Um, and you know, you're never, we're going to please all the people all the time. I mean, that's that's a problem that any platform is going to have. But um, I think for me, it's like certain things that I know Google could do better than me, I'm fine with it keeping. Um, I, I don't think it's good at nuance when yeah. it comes to searches. It really struggles with that in things like B2B. Um, it's gotten smarter in that it understands like interrelational patterns of search, but it just doesn't really know the nuances of them. Like it'll know like, oh, this this search is related to that term. So we'll do that. Like it's smart about that, but it's like, yeah, but those people don't buy. It doesn't know that yet. So I feel like the language piece, it still has a way to go as far as like how it matches to terms and things like that. Um, it understands intent really well and it has data I would never have, right? Like I, if there's someone that's showing really high propensity to buy, I don't know that. So I like the fact that I'm not having to like, manage bids on just a everyone is worth the same amount because they're not more some users are worth more i'm okay with google handling that so it's those types of things like if it has ai that's going to make it do better i am fine with them taking over that minutiae but there's just you know human and societal factors in some of the stuff that like we still need to have control over and that part is hard to to kind of contend with i feel like i do a lot of wrestling with that yeah no i, I to that point it's like as you identify, like no business is run perfectly. So you're right. always going to need a person to understand the nuances of the business. It's kind of like, you know, whenever you see like a, a dog training video for, but you're like, oh, well, that don't, won't actually work for like my dog because we've got, you know, this type of yard and this type yeah. of dog food. And that's why like you come in, you know, you're an ideal consultant to talk to people about this because it's like you have enough experience, but then you can actually ask the right questions and figure yeah. out 
what they need to figure out for that matter. I am curious. So this uh, episode is is going to be published probably like early mid November. We're right coming up on yeah. Black Friday. Yeah, I gotta ask, like, is it going to be a shit show this Black Friday? Do you have any sort of predictions or recommendations? I'm I'm really curious to see what it's like because there's been so much adoption of Performance Max. I'm so curious to see what that does because you're going to have these compounding factors, like I said, of, you know, non-brand inflating. And if it's really heavily relied on brand data, it might stumble around a lot with the non-brand piece. But the other thing is, is there's a lot of intent data that goes into that. And, and we struggle with this. This isn't just a Google problem. I mean, this is, you know, a, a gifting season issue, but like now all of a sudden there's gonna be all these people that never normally buy. And understanding if they're a high value customer or not, I think is going to be difficult for the, I'm just projecting, but I, I think it might be difficult for the algorithm as a human. That's always been hard, right? Like we, we would find, you know, people that didn't normally buy would suddenly buy and it would like screw up our lookalike audiences. Right. Cause all of a sudden like dads were buying for their teenage daughters and you know, it's like, that's not normally who would buy that thing. Right. So there's, there's factors like that, that really kind of influence the data that goes into the machine. And then all those people just suddenly stop buying. So you have January and the machine's like, what happened to everybody? There was all these people that, you know, looked like they were going to be great. Now they just don't search anymore. Or they don't show the same intent. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how quickly the models can adapt to that because it's such a short period of time, right? It's just like this burst of time for three to four weeks out of the year. And the rest of the year is not going to look anything like that. So I'm curious to see what happens with that, with with the performance max thing, because it's, you know, brand is a huge factor and remarketing is a huge factor. And now it's going to be getting a lot, it's going to having to be dealing with a lot of stuff that doesn't fit really well into those boxes. Um, so that's that's what I'm mostly curious about, um, is just how quickly does the algorithm respond? And I know it's going to vary by account, but that's going to be interesting to see. Because last year, it's like people had Pmax going, but I don't feel like they had both feet in yet. You know what I mean? And a lot of places still run search and stuff separately, but like a lot of places are both feet in now. So I'm curious to see how that goes. It's it's so fascinating because like not only is the seasonality aspect interesting, but like even if you do have the data, the last four years have all felt like kind of anomalies in different yeah. ways between recessions and pandemics and the way the purchasing behavior is not, there's nothing regular about it, right? No. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's, I don't envy, I don't envy that poor little AI trying to figure all this out. Yeah, it's been, it'll, it'll be interesting though. So one thing I'm also curious about, I want to touch on because we we talk a lot about SEO. One thing that Mike's been talking about lately is Google eventually rolling out this search generative experience, this AI version of search results. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot up in the air with what role ads are going to play yeah. into that. Do you have any, I mean, we really don't know anything, but do you have any thoughts on it? I think... My thought would be that the more they can make ads feel contextual to what's around the things that are there, the more they're probably going to do that. And we've seen them do that with the search results, right? Where it's like they've tested flagging it as an ad with a blue tag and highlighting it in yellow or like they've done that forever to try and figure out like, do we make it feel like part of the search results? Do we make it explicit that it's an ad? There's, you know, and I'm sure that the monopoly lawsuits are not helping, not helping that discussion. Um, but I think that that generative experience, you know, from what I've seen, it does kind of takes it's it's like one big piece of context where Google's pulling in all of its knowledge about that thing. 
And so I think what's going to be interesting is what does that mean for how we write ad copy? Um, You know, right now it's very much like click here, do this. It's very directional. And it's like, I'm curious if we start showing up more for like information seeking type stuff versus what we do now. Um, And then kind of does the typical ad copy we've written in the past still work in that environment? Or is it something where we need to make it feel natural and contextual to the fact it's showing up with all these things? Because before it's, you know, I actually had a um, kind of like a before and after of this in a, a talk that I did, but it was like, before we would tell Google, like, this is what I'm looking for. And they're, they're like, great, here you go. And there was a list. With the, the generative experience, it's like, here's what I'm looking for. They're like, okay, well, here's that. And here's all the other things you, you, sh- you might want to know about it, right? So it's it's a much more complete package about that thing you're searching for. So it, I'm just curious to see, like, what does that mean for ads exactly? Because we're so used to using them to sell. It's like, does it change the role of ads? Do we... Is it something where we are going to have placement options, right? Where it's like we say like, yes, we do want to appear in, Mm. you know, this thing and not this thing. Or, you know, it's like, I'm curious if we get that. I mean, I don't, they're taking away options. I would say no, but I'm just, you know, I'm like, would it, will it feel more like contextualization keyword serving as opposed to like an ad, if that makes sense. So I'm, I'm curious to see if that evolves at all. No, I I think that's really interesting, especially in the context of like e-commerce where, you don't know if the way that people search is going to change once this is rolled out. Like mm-hmm. if you start getting really specific in your queries, that might ultimately benefit ads as long as you're pro- providing enough info to like get into exactly where you want to be for, you know, a, you know, red pair of shoes for a woman who likes to jog yeah. in, you know, Colorado. Like, yeah. yeah. That ad is going to deliver like yeah. some serious revenue all of a yeah. sudden. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's, and I, in some ways, it's like, I like that because I've always, I mean, it's part of the reason why I think the social side of selling is fun, like on LinkedIn and Facebook, because it's a very, it's more of an organic kind of communal and like, you're kind of like merging onto a highway of things that are already happening, right? As opposed to being someone being like coming through a drive through and being like, I want the red, the red sneakers for the woman in Colorado, right? It's kind of like, oh, these people are talking about it. And it's like, oh, by the way, we have these things, you know, so it, it has a very natural feel to it. Um, I'm curious to see if it feels that way. I. I just think it'd be disappointing if it's like all of the results feel that way. And then it's like, ad. It's going to be so disappointing. I'm like, I don't think that's going to work well, but we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Come on, Google. Hook I know. I, I know. I got to ask. So like before, last question before we end, we talked a lot about Google. We talked about Black Friday, but you mentioned social ads. I'm just curious, are you seeing any specific practical creative trends with social ads that you're seeing that you could share with folks? Yeah. Um, I would say if you're, if you're B2B and you're on LinkedIn, you a hundred percent need to be doing carousels. Um, mm. those absolutely crush it. I have them do better than videos. Um, I think because users have control over how fast they consume the information, it's easier to do something attention getting in that first frame. I think it's hard to do attention getting in B2B for a lot of brands. You know, they're kind of like they show a webinar and it's like no one's going to click on your webinar. But if you turn it into a cool carousel that has a, you know, like a really killer headline, the, the engagement's really good. Um, so I would say from, you know, from a social perspective, that's the LinkedIn side of the house that and be more human. Please don't post boring <laughs> B2B white papers. Nobody wants them. No one wants no one wants your white paper. I'm sorry. Um I think on Facebook, you know, Facebook is such a challenge for people at this point because broader just works better. Um, And it's, I think it's, that's made it difficult during the holidays because 
you know, three years ago, we'd have these really specific campaigns of like just to dads or just to moms. But like the the smaller you make those groups, the harder it is for it to optimize. So it's kind of become to the point where it's like the creative really has to be tailored and speak specifically to who you want. Because again, it's that control thing, right? It was like we talked about with Google. It's like you have to choose what you have control over. And the more control you try and exert, usually the worse re- results you're going to get these days. So Facebook has just become such a creative rat race that I feel like brands really struggle if they don't have a tried and true thing that works. And then all of a sudden Q4 hits are like, oh, we have to do this and we have to wrap up spend. It's like they don't even know what to make, right? And they're they're competing with these brands that do it all year round and just dump money into this machine. Um, I think that's going to be a challenge. So um, Facebook's just a tougher nut to crack at this point, and it, it takes longer for it to learn. So if you know mm. you're going to be doing a Black Friday, start testing now. <laughs> Not Black Friday, but help it learn who it should be targeting a little bit because it won't it won't be able to do it in two days. It, you know, we used to be able to push something out and in two to three days, we're like, oh, it's working or it's not. Now it's like two to three weeks. It takes a while for it to try and, you know, pick up what you're putting down. So. <laughs> well, I knew to that point, it's so funny because it's like, you know, every, I think it was like last August and this past August, we do Black Friday stuff and be like, it's time to start thinking about this stuff now. And yet it's, it can be crickets. It's either you, like, I feel like so often it's either you've planned it from Q1 of the year and you're yeah. ready for it, like at yeah. the beginning, or you're like scrambling yes. after it's yeah. way too late. Yeah. No and I, I feel like brands think it's like when we ask them to do that, I think they feel like we're asking them to commit to what their offer is going to be. And I'm like, I'm not asking, I know, I mean, I worked at a consumer electronics retail in retail. Like I worked in the recom division stuff changed two minutes before we pushed the site live. Like we, it's not about that. It's about training the machine, right? It's like, it's really not about what is your message going to be? And what is your offer going to be? It's like, just start training the machine now so that when you do put a new creative, it's not like, everything's new where it's like, oh, new creative. And I don't know who I'm targeting. And, you know, it's like, give it something so that it's got that runway before you start feeding it more money. So it knows what to do with it. Yeah. Then baseline. I love it. Okay. Are you ready to do like our ad version of the rapid fire rankings? Okay. I'm going to throw your way. We're going to put some music on the clock. We're putting time on the clock and music and we'll just dive in. And first off, rank your top three of something, anything that you love most in the world. Anything? Anything. Hardest question. Um, well, my family, my dogs, which I mean, they are my family. And then um, probably traveling. Okay, I love it. Rest, rank your best marketing or advertising win that you've ever had. Um, I would say probably this this past year that pretty much every audit where I've met with resistance when I've said you need to stop controlling this in every you know client that shared results it's gotten better um and I think for me that's more of a personal win just because I I don't like letting go like it's it's weird to do things the opposite way that I used to do them like I always preface it I'm like look I'm gonna give you this audit this is not the audit I would have given you two years ago I mean I, I just flat out say like this it still feels weird to write it and be like you should test broad. Like it feels weird to say it, but it's having, you know, I kind of feel like I trust, I can trust my instincts more than I used to. So that kind of feels like a a big win, especially in the past year and a half, because so much stuff has changed. Um, It's, but it's also kind of been fun to, to relearn how things work on that board. (laughs) It's Hey, that's, Hey, the key to getting old is continue to learn, always be learning. Yeah. Rank. Okay. We discussed this a little earlier, but rank your number one advertising tool. 
Yeah, Google search terms. Yeah. <laughs> Probably that search term report is still. I still end up spending so much of my time. I think I feel like I probably spend more time there than I used to, just because of its, you know, muddiness on match types. Now it's like exact match. I literally did an audit where it was one exact match term, and it matched to 183 different close va- close variants. That's Google's. They were not close. <laughs> um, but it's. I, I think that that's probably where I spend most of my time at this point, um, because that's that's where you get the most data about how is Google matching you, how should you be structuring things. Um, so, is it my favorite tool? Probably not, but it's the one I use the most. I'm forced to. <laughs> Oh God. Okay. Um, rank your best advert, like Google ads trick or tactic. Um, I think the one that I've had a lot of success with that a lot of brands have found appealing is, you know, they keep getting told by Google, you need to test broad, you need to test broad. This goes back to the control thing. So my thing is you can either choose to try and control the match types and leave the control off of who they're shown to, aside from the fact that they search something similar. Or you can control the audience and be less controlling about the search terms. So what I've recommended a lot of brands do is, you know, you can add observation audiences, um, like as hundreds. I mean, I forget what the limit is, but I always tell them add as many as you can or the ones that make sense to your brand campaigns in there. You will learn so much about like what are the highest converting and it's weird sometimes it's stuff like you know moms that buy yoga pants or like it's something you're just like what like this has nothing to do with my brand but then take those um those audiences make a campaign that's filtered only to people that match those markets and then run broad match against them and you learn a lot about you know what is it they search for um, and you also learn a lot about the math behind what makes sense and what doesn't. A lot of brands get very caught up in like, well, but broad match is going to have so much waste. And I'm like, yeah, but if it's, you know, 50 cents a click cheaper, does that jive with the conversion rate and work out in your favor with the math? Right. So it's like you kind of have to play with that stuff. But that's been one I've had a lot of brands test and audits and um, they find really good pockets that they can at a certain point, you know, they can't spend anymore because it's a limited size audience. But it gives them kind of the extra volume that they would get from Broadmatch, but in a controlled way. So they don't feel like they're just kind of giving everything over to the Google overlords and lining their pockets. Right. They're still doing it in a way that makes sense from a marketing perspective. I mean, and and that and that's the consideration is like knowing the math, knowing like the overarching business value, and then ultimately, you know, it's really hard to trust the data when it completely goes against whatever your yeah. hypothesis or instinct is, but the data is the data. Yep. Um, okay, so rank what you love most about digital advertising. I just like that it's never boring. Like, there's, like I said, I'm, there's definitely trends and things that I see over and over, but the nuances of how that fits into or affects each business is so different that, like, I don't, especially nowadays, that it's never boring. Like, when I work on a, you know, an account, I might be in their Facebook, their LinkedIn, their paid search, and they'll have certain challenges and then I'll switch to another one where it's like they the challenges they have with managing this the search engine part of it are the same but how that interacts with their business and the goals they have are so different it feels like something completely different so I like that you know I'm kind of at this point where I've been around long enough that I I can see trends and patterns among accounts but it doesn't make it boring it's like it, it makes it actually kind of more fun to manage because I kind of know where to start whereas Five years ago, I you know it's, you were kind of having to redo the same thing over and over. Now I kind of know what to look for a lot more, um, and I just like the fact that it's not boring. I mean, I, people 
get mad. They're like, Google's taking away all our control. I'm like, it's something new to figure out. Like I get excited. I'm like, I can't do that anymore. So how can I work around that? Or what should I be looking at instead? So I, I kind of like change. I've always been a change embracer. I just think it keeps things interesting. So it's it's definitely not a boring industry. <laughs> and you're, you know, I was gonna say you're born in the right era because it's yeah. like you know we are we have we are all about change obviously yeah. like day to day. Um, rank your best learning uh, digital advertising resource. Where do you learn? Hmm, well, it used to be Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> and That's now it's like I feel like no one I know posts on there anymore. Um, Mostly it's a, it's honestly just talking to other marketers one-on-one -on -one at this point, which I realize is not like a scalable model. I wish I could say there's like this one thing. Um, interestingly, running my podcast with Jess, I've learned a ton because the questions we get, like that's what's really interesting to me. Like I kind of feel like that's what conferences used to do where based on the questions you'd get, you'd sort of understand where are people stuck, like, you know, kind of what's the, the litmus test out there. Now it's really interesting when Jess and I post an, an episode to see the questions that come in, because I'm like, oh, that's a good question. Or, you know, it's like, or they'll, they'll share, like we'll get emails or people are like, I'm running into this thing. I'm not sure how to solve it. So like, I feel like it's more interesting because there's a lot more like one-on-one -on -one problem solving questions in my life this, these days, as opposed to like conferences where, you know, and I still speak at conferences, not that I don't, it's just that there's a lot less of them there than there used to be, especially for search. Mike and we're talking about that. We're like, it's down to just a couple now. Um, so there's a lot less of that sort of feedback loop. So I found, um, interestingly, the, the less scalable way of getting individual emails or comments or questions, you learn a lot about like, where are people stuck and what are the things that are confusing to them? Um, I, I've just found those conversations to be really, really pertinent lately. They're so great. And also to that point, it's part of the reason I do podcasts is getting to talk to really other smart people mm -hmm. and just be inspired by the way that they think about things and something that, you know, I might not be as familiar with. Those yeah. conversations are just lead to so much creation, I feel like. Yeah, afterwards. that's well, that's how it is with with my podcast with Jess. It's the yeah. same thing. It's like we're we're alike in very many ways, but like she's she's an amazing content person. She doesn't know anything about the paid media side. So like it's it's really fun to talk to each other because a lot of what she does can translate to my world and vice versa. And it's like, but only by having those conversations do we figure that stuff out. It's not evident until you start talking through it and you're like, oh wait, this is exactly like what I run into with this thing. So you start to find those parallels too. And it's a perfect segue into probably the most impossible question, but rank the one to three uh, marketers or digital advertisers that you most admire or look up to. Um, Jess is obviously one of them. I've 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 learned more from her about scalable content marketing than anybody I've ever met or worked with. Um, she's really good at. I've always understood the concepts of them, but she's really good about like here's how to actually do it. Like she'll just be like do these three things, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah, that totally accomplishes it. So instead of feeling like, oh my god, I have to write a two thousand word blog post, and how do I do that? She's like, no, 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 no. do these three things, and it'll be written. And I'm like, oh, so she's really, really just good at making it, you know, palatable as opposed to like esoteric. Um, so I'd say that's one. I would say Mike is another one. Um, I've learned a, a ton from him over the years. And I just, it's so hard to find people that are right and left brain. And so because he is a data head, but then he's also a creative person. It's like, I feel like we, we've always had a common ground with that where it's like we could look at the data, but then also recognize trends and what that means for, you know, thinking creatively about how to solve those problems. I would say he's probably number two for that. Um, and then I I feel like honestly, number three in general, I kind of just the the paid search community in general is, mm. is I, I, I think I would probably say I've learned the most over the years from Kirk Williams, who does Google shopping. 
dude knows everything about Google Shopping. Like, it, it, I have never run into a question about, and it, like, merchant feeds are not an easy thing to diagnose if there's problems. Like, there's, you know, Merchant Center just has like weird errors about countries and stuff. I have never not had him be able to answer something. And I've always learned a lot from just things like about like his thoughts about how to structure campaigns and how he's made shopping work. And especially as things have changed, what does that mean for performance max? I've just, I've known him for a long time. There's never been a time where I've seen him speak or teach where I wasn't like, Oh my God, I'm totally going to do that. You know, it's like, he really, he really understands the e-commerce world specifically when it comes to things like merchant feeds and Google. Um, I feel like there's people like that for every specialty in the paid search community. Right. He just, he comes to mind first cause I've probably seen him speak and you know, we've been at conferences together more than anybody. So he's probably my third. He just, he writes, he gives away so much knowledge. I mean, he's just the most giving person. He's so friendly. He's really hilarious too. Um, so if you ever saw his, he's, he's made up paid search songs that he posts on TikTok. So like he's highly entertaining <laughs> as well. Um, but he's probably my third. That's, that's an amazing list. That's, that's a good group of people. And, and to your point, they're all like educators. They all, there's that performance education part of it, yes. right? Of these folks where it's like when you perform and you're educating, you get these practical insights as it, for all three that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, last one, I uh, just want to ask is what is your number one cause or charity that you want to promote? Um, probably where I've adopted my doggies from. So we lived in Dallas for five years and um, there's a place called Lone Star Dog Ranch. And um, they run a boarding facility that we boarded our dog at and they started rescuing and crusading against puppy mills. So um, we've donated a lot of money to them. They literally will go rescue these dogs and spend tens of thousands of dollars like no one else would do that to get them rehab, socialize them, any medical need they have. They'll foster them for a year to get them socialized before they'll adopt them out. And then they keep in touch with you forever. So they're just family run they make like i mean I, I think they're like always in the negative they don't make anything on the on their nonprofit side um but we have two amazing dogs from them then they're just the best people i mean they're they're angels on earth i don't know how they do it i get exhausted just watching them but um they're my favorite charity we've we've given a lot to them i i love that i'll get the website from you to make sure we have that in the description notes yeah if follow them on facebook to. too they, they post a million photos a day of all the dogs they board and they're hilarious <laughs> Bring, bring on the dog, the dog <laughs> content. Thank you so much, Susan. This has been so insightful for me, who's like usually in the SEO world, content world. I love hearing about like everything that's going on advertising from your perspective. If people want to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way to find you? Um, you can go to my website. I have a contact form on there at susanwenicrad.com. That's probably the quickest way. Um, I am on Twitter. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. So you can kind of find me all the main places. There you go. Thank you so much for being my guest. This has been awesome. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Garrett. Absolutely. My name is Garrett Sussman of iPoll Rank. We will be back next week. I appreciate you listening. See you later. 